As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello parents, young girls, young women, so glad you dropped by here for this podcast, Raising Daughters. This is Dr. Tim Jordan, a developmental behavioral pediatrician, coming to you with some interesting information today. Today I'm going to be talking about the F word, fat. Yeah, we're going to talk about fat and we're going to talk about body image. And this was, was kind of stimulated in me to talk about this today because There's been some articles out lately in the media about the effect of Instagram on girls' body image. And basically, Instagram is being blamed for everything from girls' body dissatisfaction to immigration problems to election issues. I mean, they're being blamed for everything. And I think instead of blaming girls' body dissatisfaction, with things like Instagram and social media, I think we should go back in history to get the real culprits and bring them to the surface because the real culprits started over 100 years ago with things like bathroom sinks with a mirror above it, home scales, store-bought clothes, and things of that sort. That's when body dissatisfaction started, not with social media. So if I say the word history and you all start to lid your eyes like, oh my God, this is going to be about history. I love history. I read tons of history. And I'm going to talk a little bit today about the history of our, our dissatisfaction with our bodies and fat. So the history of fat. You know, back in the 1800s, people who were more uh, full-bodied, people who were, flump, uh, who, were, who were plump, excuse me, they were fashionable. Women were expected to gain weight Uh, with and after their pregnancies. Um, you know, it, we, in the 1850s, and for about another 20 or 30 years from there, we went through the Victorian age, where things like good works and character, being of service to other people, that was way more important for women than good looks. You know, women in, in the Victorian age wore corsets, which with, because there's an ideal of a very slim waist, But as, a, as that century started to end, things started to shift. By the 1890s, uncorseted bodies became the style with slightly tighter-fitting clothes uh, that encouraged a more slim look, if you will. I saw a quote from 1905 that said, The modern desire, particularly uh, of the female of the species, is slimness. 
It is desirable, I'm sorry, it is undesirable to require special clothes, restrict social and recreational activities, and be the target of jokes. They were talking about people who were plump. So by the turn of the century, the 19th century, <coughs> excuse me, by the turn of the century, slimness became in vogue. Uh, in 1900, more women were going to high school uh, with their same-sex peers, if you will. And more women went than men back then because women needed high school, a high school degree, to become a teacher. And a lot of women did that. Uh, people started, uh, excuse me, women started to become more concerned with comparing their waist size, their weight, their breast size. Uh, there was a growing interest for women in athleticism. Women started riding bikes at the turn of the century. And so that became part of, the, of our culture. But one of the most important developments when it comes to women's body image started in the early 1900s when our bathrooms moved indoors. And thus our indoor bathrooms had running water and more importantly a sink and more importantly than that a sink with a mirror. And so for the first time we could see ourselves every day. Women could see themselves in the mirror there was much more attention paid to how they looked, uh, to their hair, to their faces. Uh, acne became a big issue for women at that time. Products started coming out in the early 1900s for, for acne and diets. So those mirrors, electric lights in the bathroom gave middle-class women more opportunities for self-scrutiny. The mirror became kind of a new kind of self-reflection. And then, not too long after that, scales came into the home. And before that time, the only time you would weigh yourself was at like a county fair or maybe at a drugstore. But now people started getting weight, you know, weighing scales in their homes so we could see how much we weighed. Also that came around that time was an attitude that being overweight, that became associated with people being lazy. They lacked self-control. Um, it was a time of some affluence and self-control over your body through self-sacrifice, that became a new way to show that you had character. And people started being looked down upon if they were overweight. A slender figure denoted a better character, and a better character meant a better person who made for a better worker who was much more employable. We even changed our vision for middle-aged women. It used to be that uh, that full figure was a, a sign of prosperity, and also as, uh, like a symbol of successful childbearing and maternal, mature, uh, maternal maturity. Now it meant that you were unable to maintain a good shape. That changed in early in the 1900s. So even middle-aged women were feeling the effects. It's interesting to know, too, that fat and guilt became intertwined, if you will. And uh, Guilt balanced out our new focus on consumerism, sexuality, dieting started becoming popular. And so it started to create this self-loathing when you failed. If you were overweight, people started to look down on themselves, to hate themselves. Another thing that contributed to people starting to gain weight around that time was increased in sedentary work. More and more white-collar jobs came around. There was a growing medical awareness in the early 1900s and in the middle 1900s of, of the dangers of being overweight. Uh, there was an increased use of weight standards and weight charts in pediatricians' offices and also in your doctor's office. You know, cars, automated transportation meant people weren't walking to and from their jobs as much. There's an increased abundance of food and eventually fast food outlets, snack bars. 
So a need to control your weight and fat became an anxiety-causing value in our culture. Back to the 19, early 1900s, though, there are a lot of things that started to shift. One of them was an increase in store-bought uh, clothes instead of homemade clothes. Automation, right? Uh, the the uh, Industrial Revolution. So because people were buying clothes in the store, their bodies had to fit into these predetermined standard sizes, and those sizes became the norm. And if you were a girl and you went into a store to try and uh, fit into one of these outfits, if you didn't, they wondered what was wrong with their body. They became much more self-conscious because now there was an idealized standard body type and a body fit. Another big influence that started shifting the way women looked at their bodies was advertising. Advertising in the early 1900s changed from being this kind of dry, informal ad to a much more emotional appeal. More images, more, more photographs, describing how your life would be a lot better if you use our products. A lot more things were being bought at the time. Christmas gifts changed from homemade items to purchased items. There also, by the time we got to the 1920s, there was this frenzy of dieting materials that were primarily directed at women. In 1921, we crowned the first Miss America. And the first Miss, Amer Miss America in 1921 was 5'1 and weighed 108 pounds with a 25-inch waist. If you fast forward about 60 years, Miss Americans in the 1980s, on average, were at least 5 feet 7 inches tall and the same weight. And their waist size was 22 on average. Big shift, right? A big, big shift. <clears throat> so there's been changing styles for clothes for women ever since the uh, 1920s. You know, in the 1920s, we had the flappers. And the flappers were women who were slender and youthful, kind of flat-chested, long-limbed. Um, so, and the fashion also started shifting more attention to women's legs. All along the way in the last hundred years, women's fashions have shifted generation after generation. You know, by the 1950s, women were supposed to be full-bodied and voluptuous. But back in the early 1900s, 1920, it was more about being slim and slender. In 1926, Charles Atlas became very famous for his focus on exercise, on, on overweight kids. The revolution in, in women's clothing in the 1920s with uh, now close-fitting, more revealing clothes. Women who were heavy started being referred to as broads. That, that became popular. Broads were heavier women. Here's a quote from 1934 from Parent Magazine. Whether a girl is pretty or plain, there's apt to be a beauty problem to be solved. It must be handed, handled with wisdom, and it requires the best resources of the beauty business. Notice the push in advertising for girls to be discontented with their bodies. And if you want to be happy, if you want to look right, if you want to be pretty, then you need our products. And that, those products start to become cosmetics as well. Cosmetics really bumped up uh, by that time, like by 1930s. And that advertising was geared to teen girls' anxieties and their insecurities about their looks. Girls became more and more worried about what other people were saying and doing. Ads conditioned girls to believe that, that only their products could make them popular. It would give them status. It would give them more self-confidence. And there's a huge increase 
uh, of investment in different kinds of products besides cosmetics and skincare, orthodontics, weight loss diets and camps, contact lenses, eventually plastic surgeries. All on the way, new things came apart, came upon us that said, you need this to be pretty and attractive and for you to look right. 1940, Emily Post's etiquette book stated, it is hard for overweight girls to be dignified. Yikes. A 1950s quote, your doctor and mother can help, but you're the only one who can really do this. Talking about weight loss. You can go on being a fat girl, or you can follow the diet and get down to a normal weight that's healthy and attractive. Wow. So if you're overweight, you're not attractive and you're not healthy. By the time the 1950s rolled around, there was a lot more medical data about the harmful effects of being overweight. Like men started to become more aware of and afraid of things like heart attacks. We started getting our blood pressure measured in the doctor's office. People worried about cholesterol for the first time. If you think back to, to that time, there was a superhero that came along 19, in the 1950s on TV. The first Superman was George Reeves. And he was not this taut, you know, you know six-pack ab kind of guy. He was like this kind of paunchy, you know, slightly overweight uh, superhero. If you fast forward about 20 years, that is not how Superman looked. <laughs> he was, he was, now he was tight. He had a six pack. You know, he was all about muscles and things. Jack LaLanne became very popular with his TV exercise classes after World War II. Again, they started to have more and more energy around fitness and how you looked. In the 1950s, we started to have diet soft drinks and diet foods becoming more popular. And dieting was popular as well, and it remained a very visible measure of a person's discipline and their character. Not just dieting, but, but your weight. The early emphasis on slender, slim women shifted in the 1950s with the baby boom. Right, Lots of women got pregnant, not just once, but many times. And so, uh, women's fashions became more relaxed. It was an era of the full-figured woman. With, uh, with larger breasts, uh, Marilyn Monroe, think Jane Mansfield, uh, the other actress, Jane Russell, all full-bodied women. They became the ideal. And breasts became a more focal point in what, you were spo- in what men looked at. And long legs and high heels also became very popular. It's interesting to know, too, if you look back to like pictures of, of high school seniors' yearbook pictures, Back in the 50s, you would see pictures of, of girls just like head and shoulders. And all the girls wore the same outfit. It was usually like a white blouse or maybe a sweater. But when you got into the 60s and 70s, the whole body started to be shown. And then you fast forward to today, where a lot of girls have like a uh, three-hour photo shoot. When some of the girls from my camp showed me their senior pictures. It's like, oh my goodness, it looks like, like they're movie stars. Uh, a lot different, right? And you can see that even in things as, as interesting as or as simple as yearbook pictures. I, I saw this, uh, this history uh, in a book one time. The first bra was brought out in 1913. And it was designed initially to, to flatten girls' breasts to give them that more thin, slender, flapper look. By 1930s, there was cup sizes, A, B, C, and D. 
and stitching to enhance the roundedness that gave girls more style. As we got into the 60s and 70s, there was a push to have younger girls wear trainer bras, which, which kind of introduced an earlier sexualization. We started dressing little girls in bras and bikinis to, to imply like an adult look. And unfortunately, it marked young girls as sexual objects. In the 1960s, being thin and, and being worried about your weight became an even bigger concern. Because models like Twiggy came along and the look was supposed to be really thin. So a lot of girls were, were kind of conditioned to count their calories, to skip meals. Dieting became a normal part of a teen girl's life. The fashion back in the 60s shows a lot, showed a lot more leg, a lot more thigh. Uh, women wore, uh, and girls wore midriffs, tight jeans, bikinis, miniskirts. There was more of an emphasis on the lower body and the buttocks and the upper thighs. Phrases like thunder thighs emerged by the 1980s. Concern about cellulite started to hit, hit us back in the 80s. Liposuction became more popular. The other thing that was interesting is that the sexual revolution in the 60s came along, and so it was much more acceptable for women to be sexual, to have sex outside of marriage, and women got the message that they were supposed to be thin in order to be more sexy and acceptable in bed. I think back to the 70s and 80s, and we went through the fitness craze with jazzercise classes, and the, the lean body uh, was more valued back then. 1982 was when the first Jane Fonda exercise video came out. That became hugely popular, right? So working out became part of women's also what they're supposed to be doing. The need to fight your weight, the need to fight fat, remained a matter of demonstrating that you had good character and self-control. And that was another, another era of excess. It was a way to show you had some character and some virtue. And it seems like there's been... More concern in history, more intensification of concern about weight during times when the country was going through a greater prosperity. It's kind of like shame and guilt were meant to, to balance out the excesses that we were experiencing. We hit the 1990s. There's this new ideal of a lean, muscular, like taut body with, a bump, with, with tight buns and abs of steel, shaped arms and legs. We're still kind of in that era, if you will. So in every generation, there's been shifting cultural standards for how women were supposed to look, how they were supposed to judge themselves and other women, how they should eat, whether they should diet or not, what their weight should be, how they should look. And so it's become a moving target of standards and, and ideals and expectations, which is really hard to meet, if not impossible to meet. We talk a lot about how uh, pictures and photos that you see on your phones, uh, in YouTube videos, uh, pictures in, uh, in social media, that it's so easy to Photoshop those and to make the image look like just perfect. And we try and educate our girls to be more aware of that. That's not new. That's not new. The fact that people had standards and ideals that were um, unrealistic. For a girl to measure up to the pictures that they see on Instagram, it's impossible because nobody looks that way without Photoshop, you know, Photoshop uh, shotting, without uh, airbrushing, without all kinds of work that's done to it. 
And so that wasn't that wasn't around photoshopping uh, back in the day, but but those shifting standards and ideals were. In the last 30, 40 years, girls have become more independent. You know, girls were not supposed to date without supervision back in the 30s and 40s, but that shifted. Then the telephone came along and the automobile came along. I remember reading one time in a history book that that uh, people were concerned about automo- automobiles back in the back in the uh, 30s, 40s, 50s because kids could go out on dates without their parents being there. Uh, one one person one time a, a specialist described the automobile as being a, a prostitution house on wheels. You know, we went through phases with drive-in movies. Uh, everybody was in high school starting in the 50s because what they were going to do with all these young people from the baby boom generation. Uh, more movies, images, magazines. Um, so there's a lot more attention shifted to women's visual images. That's not new either from with social media. That's been, that's been there for a long time. Today's girls are constantly worried about their weight, about how their body looks. Are they measuring up? There's too much emphasis on food and dieting and weight, uh, working out, working on their bodies, comparing their bodies to, to their peers, comparing their bodies to people they see on, uh, on TV shows and movies and social media. Um, and so what's created is, is another era where girls are dissatisfied with their bodies. They're discontented. And marketers play to these anxieties and these insecurities they have for over 100 years. I teach girls that what advertisers are selling you with their ads on TV and and on the internet is not the products. It's not the hair gel. It's not the clothes. It's not the cologne. It's not the it's not any of those things. What they're selling is the idea that you are not okay. You are not good enough. You're not pretty enough. What you need to feel those things is you need to drink our soda, to wear our clothes, to use our makeup. They're selling the idea that you need something outside of yourself to be okay. Which is why it's a constant dissatisfaction and a constant discontent. What's evolved, too, over the years is is that girls' body image became the most important and the most noticed aspect of their identity. It seems like a girl's size, their shape, and their weight became the defining aspect of their identity. And that also contributed to their body dissatisfaction and their sense and that poor sense of themselves. Starting at a young, young age, girls' bodies are constantly discussed, analyzed, displayed, harassed, groped. It's hard for girls to make good sense of their bodies when they're going through adolescence because all these pressures are on them at a time when they need some space. They need some quiet time in order to figure out who they are. I've talked to you a lot in these podcasts about the value of, of reading fairy tales, especially the older versions. Because in the fairy tales, they talked about when girls go through this, this adolescent transformation from being a girl to a woman, that they needed some safe spaces. They needed some time to gather the strength and the wisdom that they needed to become a woman and to face all the pressures and the challenges of being a woman. Which is why in a lot of the fairy tales, girls go through a period of sleep. And the sleep was not about sleeping. The sleep was a metaphor for going inward, 
for having the chance to kind of escape or back away from things and have some time to kind of think for yourself. I don't think we have that time for girls today. They're so busy and so rushed and so hurried. And, and I think the culture is pushing them to grow up fast. I think girls are pushing themselves and each other to grow up fast. I think even some parents do that too, unknowingly. And then, of course, social media came along. And smartphones and all those things and YouTube videos and all that. And I think that added another layer. I've said to you in these podcasts that I don't think social media, I don't think Instagram, I don't think Facebook, I don't think TikTok causes girl drama. I think girl drama has been around forever. What, what those things do, though, is they amplify it. I don't blame social media for, for girls uh, having drama within their friendships. I just think it added a whole other layer to it. And I think the same thing is true for social media and body dissatisfaction. We're in an era of exhibitionism, perfectionism, lookism, consumerism, and all that is causing girls and women to be obsessed with their weight, their bodies, fashion, being sexy, being attractive. It's interesting to note that it's not as true for African-American girls as it is for other girls. The preoccupation with weight and dieting didn't really catch on as much among the African-American women. African-American teen girls tend to worry less about their bodies. Uh, African-American women who are large are held to be more emotionally stable. Uh, They're less preoccupied with the superficial kind of issues. Uh, African-American women in their culture tend to have a more power position. Um, African-American women in general have tended to work more, so size and strength were an advantage to them. The African-American community is very matriarchal, and so cultural prestige for motherhood still persists. And so it's, it's interesting that the, the body dissatisfaction kinds of things are less prevalent amongst Af- African-American girls. You know, there have been a lot of studies that show a, a positive association between the amount of time teen girls spend watching soaps and movies and TV and go, uh, reading magazines and, mu- and watching music videos and being on social media that there's an association between that and their degree of body dissatisfaction and their desire to be thin. They've done studies that show that after exposure to idealized body images on TV or in a magazine, that girls were more dissatisfied with their body and their attractiveness. And sadly, very sadly, this dissatisfaction and this over-concern with body image does not start in the teen years. It starts in preschool. I've read uh, some studies of researchers who were looking at preschool kids. And they presented girls in preschool with dolls that had different shapes. There was a thin girl, kind of an uh, average size girl. There was a heavy girl. And these are girls in, this, in a study that were aged between three and five. And when they were presented with these dolls of different shapes, they consistently preferred the thin doll. The bigger doll was thought of as being more sad, tired, and having no friends. Let me say that again. When a three, four, five-year-old was shown a, a, a bunch of dolls of different shapes, the girl who was the biggest, the biggest doll, was the one who was least likely to be chosen to play with. The thin doll was the clear favorite. They also 
considered that thin doll to be the prettiest one, even though all three of the dolls had the exact same face. By three, four years of age, kids have already absorbed that from the culture and from us. It's interesting that larger dolls scored highest for all the negative attributes, from being friendless to being uh, more tired and sad. 70% of the girls said they'd like to play with the thin doll. 20% of the girls said they'd like to play with the, the average size doll. Only 10% wanted to play with the chubby doll. That is so sad and so disturbing. Majority of girls today, around 60%, report dissatisfaction with their body shape. 66% express a desire to lose weight. In studies, 46% of 9 to 11-year-olds are sometimes or very often on diets. These are 9 to 11-year-olds, about half of them. And 82% of their families are sometimes or very often on diets. So they are absorbing a lot from our families. It's not just the culture. It's not just social media. It's also in their homes. And one of the most important factors for girls is their mom's satisfaction with their bodies. I remember one time Ann and I were running a, a, a three-day weekend retreat for moms with their middle school daughters. I've done them in several places in the United States. I've done it twice in Europe. And and we, we were talking about body image and things like that. I'll never forget uh, talking a little bit about the importance of moms on the way their daughters looked at themselves based upon what they heard their moms say about themselves. And a couple different times when we did these exercises, the moms always would say, oh, no, I know that. I understand that. I am so careful. I, do, I never say anything about my body that's negative. I'm very careful about that. And then when we asked the girls, have, how many of you have ever heard your moms talk badly about their bodies? Every hand went up. And the moms looked incredulous, like, whoa, oh. Because sometimes when we're looking at the mirror, we may grimace or give like a uh or whatever. It may be about our outfit or how things fit. But girls are watching their moms and they're listening to their moms. And when they hear those negative comments, they internalize them. So it's important that, that parents, and especially moms, stop saying negative things about their bodies or anybody else's body, by the way. Research has shown that parents who model uh, body positive behaviors, including a relaxed attitude about healthy eating, enjoyment of physical activity, that, that their kids are much more likely to be raised body positive. They have much better body satisfaction because their parents have body satisfaction. So, instead of us spending a lot of time blaming our smartphones and social media and Instagram and TikTok, etc., instead of blaming those things for our daughters having problems with their body image, we need to remember history. Because body dissatisfaction began a long time ago, long before TV, long before smartphones, a long time before social media. I think it started way back in the early 1900s with bringing the bathroom into the home and bringing uh, sinks and mirrors into the bathroom and weight scales because all of a sudden there was a much more preoccupation with looking at ourselves. Store-bought clothes with their standardized sizes. 
girls going to high school, being around their same age peers, much more comparing that went on. The changes in the advertising industry, uh, the changes all along the way in the fashion industry with the changing styles with each generation, an increased investment in products and the advertising about those products. There's been more and more medical uh, data about the harmful effects of being overweight. There's been way more uh, dieting kind of plans, uh, dieting products. We've gone through several different phases of our fitness craze and exercise and jazzercise, all those kinds of things. Also, the, the changes in girls having the ability to be more sensual and sexual, and then the need to be sexually attractive. We've had shifting cultural standards for how women are supposed to look all along the way. It's changed with different generations how they're supposed to look, how they're supposed to judge themselves and other women, how they should eat, what they should weigh, what their body type should look at. It's been a moving target of standards, ideals, expectations, which is impossible to keep up with and, and impossible to meet. So I think it'd be best to focus on us and what we can do instead of focusing just on social media. So two quick things. One, for sure, moms and dads as well, watch what you say about your body, about your weight, and about other people's bodies and weights. Watch those sarcastic comments when you see someone on the news or someone in a movie or someone in a TV show or one of their friends and you make a, a comment, a, a critical comment about the way they look. Very important. The other thing is, there's good data that shows that if you watch media with your daughters, if you watch TV shows, if you watch movies and watch some of the YouTube things, if you watch it with them and then that leads to a discussion with your daughter about what they saw, what they think about that, that becomes very protective. Kids are less vulnerable to the effects of the images and the sexual objectification that happens on those TV shows and movies. When, our, when parents watch those things with their daughters and it creates some discussions. That would be a great thing for you to do already. I hope this has been helpful to you to go down this road of remembering that, that our obsession with our looks and our waist size and our weight and, and our body type and, our, and what kind of clothes and what kind of fashions, that all those things have been a long, have had a long history in our culture. Started, it started really at, uh, in the late 1800s, picked up some steam in the 1900s, picked up steam in the 1920s with the flappers, picked up more steam all along the way with each generation. The pressure has ratcheted up. And social media has added another level of pressure in the last 20 or so years. But it's not the cause. So let's make sure that we uh, focus on what we can control which is about screening things. You know, I've talked before about social media and how I don't think girls are ready for things like Instagram and those social media sites until they're at least in high school with a good track record of being mature, self-responsible, having impulse control, and being media and image savvy. And it's not so much about them as, as much as it's much about what is coming at them and are they able to, to get through, uh, to kind of cipher through all that and figure it out and not let it affect them so much. You might want to sit down and listen to this podcast with your daughter 
it might be fun for them to hear the history of of how women are supposed to look and how it's changed so much over the last 120 years. Uh, If you enjoyed this, please pass it on to your friends. I'll be back here in a week or two with another podcast. I always appreciate you stopping by, and I really do appreciate comments. You can uh, email me at drtim uh, at drtimjordan.com. Look at our website at drtimjordan.com for information about our our fall retreats, about uh, all the all the six books I've written, about the parenting courses that I have I have put out there, online parenting courses. I've got lots of different resources for you, so check out the website at d, uh, drtimjordan.com. And uh, thanks so much for stopping by. I will be back here, and I'll see you in a week. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.